NBC and its cable sister channels are planning exhaustive coverage of the Rio Olympic Games over the next two weeks. It's a true partnership with the IOC. Quality content, telling great stories and inspiring people, that's the very heart of what the Olympic movement is about. Have you been watching the Rio Olympics on TV? Maybe you've forked out a little bit extra to watch your favourite content on your phone. Broadcaster rights are hugely sought after for sporting events like the Olympics. But with the introduction of more and more media platforms, are they as valuable? With me to investigate on Business Briefing is... I'm doing my PhD at the University of Technology, Sydney. I'm investigating um, sport consumerism, specifically in the area of media consumption. Um, so. My background here is I'm doing my PhD and prior to that I did a Masters of Arts again looking at broadcast rights. Hunter can explain just how expensive being an Olympics broadcaster is. There seems, at the moment, there seems to be no upper limit to how much broadcasters are willing to pay. Um, that's, that's probably my most overarching observation uh, from my research with uh, the Olympic movement is that uh, several times, there have been several moments of time where you adjust, when you adjust broadcast rights fee to inflation, where it looks like we've reached some sort of plateau. So, for example, you know, between Sydney, Athens and Beijing, when you adjust for inflation, there really wasn't terribly big growth in the rights fees. So it looks like we kind of had to hit some form of a ceiling in terms of how much people had paid. And then come London 2012, it was really interesting to note that that was one of the biggest um, cycle-on-cycle jumps in annual fees, in the broadcast fees paid. So it's really interesting to, to observe now that we move into this sort of next era of digitalization. Um, whether we're going to we're going to hit a new plateau from London to Rio to Japan, or are we going to see a continued, ever increasing uh, growth in the broadcast rights? And that's sort of the big question to come, and only time will tell, I suppose. You know, this is about uh, close to 60 years now that we've had broadcast rights. Um, the actual first telecast in the Olympics was back in 1936 in Berlin. So. You know, the actual televising of Olympics has been around for quite a long time, um, but the actual payment for rights started in Rome in 1960. So we're about 60 years in, and when we had that first uh, first rights fee in Rome, that was for 1.2 million, um, which if you sort of adjust, adjust for inflation, works out to be about $10 million in, in, in current day money. Um, so from a base of about $10 million in Rome, we're now at about $2.6 billion. So... Fair to say we've had a fair bit of, sort of exponential growth in the last 60 years in the area. Um, in terms of value, you know, value is a little bit more harder to define because obviously value is in, in the eyes of the purchaser. Um, but there's a lot of sort of research which has shown that when you know broadcasters purchase broadcast rights, they tend to not necessarily make money on it. In fact, quite often a lot of money is lost on face value on broadcast rights. Um, but there's sort of, sort of ancillary reasons why broadcasters want Olympics beyond simply the financial return that they get off that specific event. The amount you mentioned is quite staggering when you think about it. How much do the Olympics rely on this sort of broadcasting revenue? Yeah, uh, a lot is the answer. Um, so if we look at the Olympics, about half of the overall revenue, so 47 48% of the entire revenue of the organisation, it comes from broadcasting. And funnily enough, Compared to FIFA, that's actually a lesser percent. So FIFA is even more reliant at almost 60% of their income 
uh, comes from broadcast rights. So these mega events now have grown to a point where broadcasting really is their primary um, primary revenue source. What does this mean for the future of the Olympics in terms of shaping how it's put on and um, the way that sports are, are broadcast but also conducted? Well, it's a really interesting one because I guess where we see broadcast rights really manifest themselves is in decisions around scheduling. Um, so you have these big broadcasters, particularly you know the American ones like NBC, um, who invest single-handedly invest billions sort of saying to, saying to the IOC and to FIFA or whatnot, we're putting all this money in, we need to therefore adjust the schedules to try and maximise our own TV ratings to try to get a return on all this money that we're giving you. So the biggest sort of change we see is the scheduling of events. And even for Rio recently, there was a story about how NBC wanted to change the official language of the Olympics to English from Portuguese because the implication was that for NBC in America... In Portuguese, when they do the opening ceremony, the nations come out alphabetically. And in Portuguese, America comes out sort of in the middle of the ceremony. And NBC was a little bit worried that American viewers would tune out of the Olympics once of the opening ceremony once America came out. So they wanted to change it to English so that the USA would come in at the absolute end of the ceremony. So we see little instances like that where we're really seeing scheduling being adapted to mass markets to try to get returns on viewership. How are consumer trends also shaping this? What we're seeing more and more is this sort of move towards uh, two things. Firstly, multi-screen. So people who sit in front of a television, but at the same time have their laptop, they have their iPhone, they have their iPad, and they're consuming multiple, uh, multiple sources of media at the same time. And we're also seeing as part of that a move to more digital channels and social channels. So, for example, this Olympics in the Australian context, we've got coverage on Channel 7. Uh, and obviously the ancillary channels they have there. Um, but we've also got digital platforms now where people can actually subscribe and use, you know, uh, Telstra TV and Apple TV and actually watch through digital platforms as well. Um, and that's on a free format and there's also a paid format. So we're seeing some of this content move to the digital space to really give people more flexibility as to how they actually consume their content. Obviously in countries like Australia, we're, we're quite lucky to have quite strong anti-siphoning lists which means that we are relatively protected in terms of the minimum level of content that we will always be able to see in some free format. Um, and luckily, it's hard to imagine them changing those, that legislation simply because of hopefully what would be a strong consumer backlash or a voter backlash to that. So to a degree, we'll always be protected in terms of the base level of content of sport we'll see on television. But as we've seen in other areas, you know, we're seeing new content being made and those are the ones that potentially have more likelihood to end up being on pay TV or pay digital services. What's the implications for sport for these close relationships between organisations like the IOC and, and FIFA and businesses, you know, media, advertising? Mm. Well, I think that probably one of the biggest implications, at least from an Olympic perspective, is, you know, we're seeing this modernisation of the Olympics whereby, you know, there are new sports being added, and the merit for which has been largely based around trying to modernise the games to meet a younger demographic. And that's reflected in, I suppose, the sports that are being added to the Olympics. So if we look at uh, this Olympics, so we've got BMX, we've got Rugby Sevens, Pan, we're getting skateboarding, surfing, uh, climbing. So we're seeing this sort of reshaping of the Olympic movement to try introduce sports that sort of meets younger consumer demographics. Um, and that's partly being driven, obviously, by... Where, where the future value will be in terms of trying to keep the movement relevant overall, 
but also trying to appeal to sponsors who obviously then want to be able to target those demographics. So we're seeing this sort of shift towards more younger, edgier sports, and obviously for the national organising committees of those sports, um, the sport federations, being introduced into the Olympics has huge implications for that sport's development. To what extent do external uh, events and external controversy influence or impact broadcasting rights? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one because ultimately viewers are the currency of broadcast rights um, and what is being bought is essentially access to viewers. So the impact of controversy is really contingent on the perception or the reaction of the viewers themselves. I mean, in that sense, what you can kind of see is that there's probably two types of controversies. There's controversies that affect the integrity of the sport, and the risk with that is that if consumers feel that the integrity of the sport has gone, there's a potential that they will lose interest. And we see that that's the big risk in sports like Tour de France. And what we're seeing with this current Olympics, with the inclusion of Russia, is the question around the integrity of the sport, and will that impact people's desire to watch. And then there's also external controversies which might relate more to, you know, bad player behaviour or things like that, which might necessarily affect people's perception of the actual uh, integrity of the sport. So it all really depends on the mindset of the consumer. And I think it's it's a little too early to tell uh, what will happen because obviously in, in the context of the current scandal with the IOC and the doping scandals, because on one hand, one might be able to argue that the controversy around Russia has actually added an element of interest to the Olympics, um, while others might say that it's potentially created some disharmony which people may switch off. So it's a little bit early to tell, and you can only really tell in the long run uh, what the implications will be when there are controversies such as these. There's been some criticism in Australia of the way that Seven in particular has handled the Olympics. It seems that nearly every year there's some complaints about how any one broadcaster handles the Olympics, but this time it's also on their um, platforms such as mobile. Do you think the introduction of these platforms dilutes the value? I think inevitably with any new technology there's going to be growing pains. Um, And it's important to remember Australia is probably a little bit technologically behind um, in this respect compared to other nations. So, for example, if we look at in an American context, you know, sports like the NBA already sort of have a very well-developed league pass where they can stream their sports annually the whole season to the whole world. Whereas in Australia, we haven't quite got to that point yet. And if we look in an Australian context, I suspect, you know, the next NRL AFL deals in about four years' time is when we're really going to see that first really gigantic step forward in terms of digital versus traditional broadcasting. And I think come the next Olympics, we'll see that they'll have harnessed a lot of this technology and hopefully the progress of the NBN will be a little bit stronger and we'll have a little bit more of the required technology to really um, bring home the coverage to these new levels that we sort of hope. But for the moment, I think it's all part of the learning process of adapting to a new technology. So I myself am not too critical of some of the struggles they're going through. That's Hunter Fujak, PhD candidate at the University of Technology, Sydney, researching broadcast rights. My name is Jenny Henderson and I'm the Melbourne business editor at The Conversation. That little taste of Brazil you heard at the start was the Samba Brazil Batucada Carnival. And our theme music is by Ben Sound. You can listen to more business briefing on The Conversation's website or subscribe via iTunes. Music